You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Church at Home. We are celebrating today the greatest news ever that Jesus is alive, that he has died for our sin, rose from the dead. He's given us new life. And today, man, what a great time to celebrate that. And I got another thing to celebrate. It's not nearly as good as that news, but it is some good news. And I want to just be the first to tell you this. And guess what? Our church doors are reopening Sunday, May 2nd. So church at home, the days are numbered. And on Sunday, May 2nd at 9.30 and 11 a.m., we will be having church right on site at SGC. And cannot wait to see you. Hope that you're there. You'll get more info on that in the coming weeks. Now, Today what we're doing, listen, it's Easter. We've got to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We've got to talk about uh, how that has impacted us, how it impacted the first people who saw him alive. So if you have a Bible, do me a favor and open up to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to be, John 20. Uh, And we're just going to start it out, John 20, starting at verse 1, which says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. And we're going to stop right there. Why? Well, because this is an incredibly important moment for all of humanity, but also for Mary. And today what I'd like to do, as we look at the the resurrection narrative of, of Jesus, I want us to see it through Mary's eyes, because to see it through her eyes makes it incredibly personal. Sometimes Listen, Jesus rising from the dead makes all the difference in our lives, and we'll get to why that is going on. But sometimes, you know, in the same way with Christmas, sometimes like we hear the story of, of the birth uh, narrative of Jesus, and we're just so used to hearing it that sometimes it loses the personal uh, application. And, and I would hate for that to happen with this most important news ever uh, for us when it comes to Easter. So what I'd like to do is just help us understand who Mary Magdalene was uh, so that we can fully understand Uh, this moment right here going forward in John 20. So uh, something to understand with Mary is that there has been a lot of just false information perpetuated about Mary Magdalene. Usually it goes in one of two places when we talk about Mary's past. One is this belief that, okay, before uh, Mary met Jesus, she was a woman of the night or a prostitute. Uh, Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't call prostitutes or save or redeem. In fact, Jesus redeems people from like the furthest place. If you're ever like, man, like Jesus could never want me, man, you just could not be more wrong. Like uh, this guy named Matthew, who's one of his 12 disciples who wrote the gospel of Matthew was considered the worst kind of sinner possible by those around him. And Jesus looked at him with life and love and said, come follow me. So listen, no matter what you've done, Jesus can still save, heal, and forgive you. But I want us to understand that, listen, Mary, um, her story, like her actual story, is good enough. Like in the same way, like sometimes with us, we think, okay, my story isn't flashy, you know, it's like, okay, you never, I never had this moment where like I was into the occult and God cast demons out of me. Like I've been a Christian my whole life and I've always taken my relationship with God seriously. Well, guess what? You couldn't do that without God intervening on your behalf and drawing you to life. And I just want to tell you that, like your story is 
good enough. And so is marriage. And so listen, some people, they, they, it's been you know, spun that Mary was a prostitute. Probably not. No one actually believed that in the church until about the 6th century when uh, Pope uh, Gregory I, back in 591 AD, said, oh, yeah, 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 Mary was a prostitute. Um, but that's not in the Bible anywhere. And, and, and as far as we can tell, no one before Gregory I ever taught or, or believed that. Another misunderstanding about Mary is that uh, she was this woman who you find in, in the Gospels who, um, like, she has a moment where Jesus is in a house, and she, it says that she was a sinful woman, and, and this woman shows up, and she starts, like, sobbing at his feet, and she washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. This is most famously found in Luke chapter 7. Um, the problem with saying that that was Mary is that just a few verses later in the beginning of Luke chapter 8, Mary is mentioned by name, and she's never linked with this woman who appeared before. So it just doesn't seem like that's very likely. And so if we were to sort of dig into the background of Mary Magdalene, what do the Gospels actually say about who she was? Well, let's, let's, our first clue comes from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, which says this. After this, so this is after Jesus has said to this woman who washed his feet with her tears, your faith has saved you, go in peace. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, so his twelve disciples. And look at this. And also, verse 2, also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, we'll say that, why not? The manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. And look at this last detail, this is interesting. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so what we learn in this passage right here uh, is sort of three details about Mary. Number one, uh, that she's from a place called Magdala, Mary Magdalene from Magdala. Now, Magdala was a place on the Sea of Galilee. It was a, it was a, a prosperous ship, or uh, not shipping, fishing town. Um, and so what we learn about Mary is she was in this place where people made money. But that leads to our second clue, okay? Like when it talks about how her, and check this for a moment. How do we miss this detail, okay? That these three women actually were huge financial contributors of Jesus' ministry. Like they were like women in the first century, financial backers of Jesus. Like whoever preaches that, okay? But they were, all right? And what this tells us about Mary is that like if she was wealthy, and it seems like she was, that almost certainly she was a widow. Because like, uh, you know, if she, let's say she had, had a father who died. If she had any male siblings, guess what? The money all goes to them. People did not leave inheritances to their daughters. On top of that, on top of being a widow, she was almost certainly childless. Because, uh, again, like if, her, if she was married, had a husband who died, the money would not go to her. It would go to like, her son who would be charged with taking care of her. And so what we learn about Mary is, okay, here's this woman who's, uh, she's got a lot of wealth. Most likely she suffered tragedy, okay? That basically, okay, she's never had a child, which made, uh, it was an embarrassment to her in that society. And also her husband had died. And so she's left all this money and she's left, she's left with this money that she's not going to make any more of it. So the fact that she's giving it to Jesus means she was a woman of incredible faith. Because listen, this is her entire supply to which she will be like giving for the rest of her life. And so, okay, number one, we've learned that Mary is from this place called Magdala, which is a fishing town. And number two, we've learned that she was wealthy, and probably that's because of tragedy in her past. But there's this third detail. It says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. 
And so we also learn from her past that, man, she was somebody who was oppressed by the devil. And you might go like, okay, what's the significance of seven demons? Well, in the Bible, numbers very, very often have uh, significance, and, and they're trying to tell us a, a detail about something. So, for instance, um, seven is a number of completion. So that's why, you know, the earth was made in, like, in six days. On the seventh day, God rested because everything was complete. Okay, it's very oftentimes associated with God because God is perfect. God lacks nothing. So very often, seven is the number of God. But this idea of, their, like, like, Jesus casting seven demons out of her means that she was not lacking in spiritual oppression. That basically, as much as somebody could be, the worst possible state of demonic disorder was present within Mary. So just think about this for a second here. Here she is, okay, she's going through life, and she's, she's suffered this wound in her past, but like just physically in the world, she's not lacking anything. Like, here she is, she's going through life, and okay, you know, listen, she was married, and there was a tragedy there, but she would have had some measure of, of like, you know, she, she, she has a roof over her head, she's not going to worry about stuff, but there's always this nagging thing. Well, maybe it's mental. Maybe it's one of these things where the, the enemy is just driving her crazy in her mind, and, and she's, you know, facing schizophrenia or, or, or like it's a serious like manifestation, like as we see in other places in the Gospels where people would froth at the mouth and demons would speak through them, and it was just anguish for those who were oppressed. Or maybe it was physical. We find stories like, I'm thinking of, there's a story in one of the Gospels where Jesus meets a woman who it says the devil had made her hunch over for years, that basically she had a physical ailment that was brought on by a demon that Jesus cast out. And so here's Mary, and, and where she is, like she, she's okay in the worldly sense of she's provided for, but here's all this evil that's coming against her that's tormenting her life. And then enters Jesus. And I want to say this to you, by the way. You just need to hear this, because if Jesus can heal Mary, he can heal you. And here's the truth. No matter how deep the darkness, the light of Jesus shines. No matter how dark, no matter how evil, no matter how oppressive, no matter how long you're like, I'll never be free of this. No matter how long you, you, you felt anguish, no matter how long you, you felt grief, no matter how long you felt worry and suffering, no matter how long the ailment, the light of Jesus can shine even into the deepest, darkest. Let me preach this to you for your family. You've got that family member that you've all but given up hope on. And you go, man, like they're just, they're so far gone. Like I love them, but it just seems like the devil's ransacking their life. Like the, the, they're still into the drugs. They're still into the lifestyle. They're still into the greed. They're still into the deception and the theft. And you're just looking like, like what is going on? And I just want to tell you this. Listen, no matter how deep the darkness, the light of Jesus still shines. And this is true in the life of Mary. If he can heal her, he can bring healing today. That's exactly what he does to Mary. We don't know the details of their first encounter. Suffice to say that Mary is forever changed as a result of it. She loves Jesus. She loves him. She's absolutely crazy about him. She decides to become one of his followers because, my gosh, you know, she knew where she was. And she saw what he did. How many of us, that's been our story as well. We remember where we were when Jesus found us. We remember the cold heart. We remember trying 
to satisfy ourselves in all these different ways, and, and, and none of it worked. Like we, we, we sang this morning in the song Graves into Garden, we searched the world, but it couldn't fill us. And, and for many of us, this is our, our, like our memory. We can just absolutely see it. But what happened? Come on. What happened when Jesus came into your life? What happened when he set you free? What happened when he filled you with his spirit? What happened when he brought you from death to life? You fell in love with him too. That's exactly where Mary was. And so wherever Jesus went, man, she was in. With, with the resources that she was supposed to live on for the rest of her life, she would give just to make sure that other people could encounter the Jesus that she had met. So she traveled with him. She followed him everywhere. And by the way, from, just so that you understand this, okay, like from Magdala to Jerusalem, where our story starts today, okay, that's 113 miles by foot. So when we talk about Mary like walking around following Jesus, that's not a small distance. Like what drives you to walk after someone that long and that far and give up that much just to be with them? Well, what happens is you fall in love with who that person is and you believe in them. And that's exactly what we see with Mary. And she's just so indebted to Jesus. She's so crazy about like his presence in her life and, and just watching him, him minister that she'll go with him anywhere, even when it seems like everything that he had preached was a lie. Think about this for a moment, okay? In John 19, verse 25, when Jesus is at the cross, you have to understand, listen, tell us we go cross, what's the big deal? To, to these people who were following Jesus to begin with, they believed that he was going to be this military Messiah. And so if Jesus was killed, it meant he couldn't have been who he said he was. That's why everybody flees when he's captured. And here's Mary. And even though he's dying on a cross, forsaken by everybody, John 19.25 says this, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Why? Because she knew what she had experienced. And even, even if it meant, okay, he wasn't going to take that throne like she hoped he would. Mary just loved Jesus. Which brings us back to John 20 on this moment. That's, that's the backdrop, okay? When we're talking about, okay, Mary goes to the tomb in the morning. Here, here's what happens, okay? So Jesus dies on Friday, right? And because uh, he, he dies on Friday, and it's this holy time of Passover, and there's the Sabbath on Saturday, here's Mary who also, ultimately, she really loves God. And she knows that if she, t like, touches or handles Jesus' dead body, She's going to be unclean for the, for the Passover. She's going to be unclean for the Sabbath. And so very, the very, literally the very first opportunity she has to care for his dead body that will offer nothing to her, she takes early on a Sunday morning. And so it says in John 20, verse 1, let's just read it again. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, I want you just to catch this, by the way. She goes to the tomb, and there's zero expectation of resurrection. Like, sometimes what happens is people go, well, listen, you know, Jesus only appeared to people who already believed in him. No, nobody believed in Jesus at the time of the resurrection. She goes there to care for a dead body. If you read the other Gospels, you know she's there with spices to, like, to keep the body from stinking too much, like at, at, at being you know, prepped for burial. That's why she's there. But she sees like the stone's been rolled away. 
from the tomb. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John just being modest. <laughs> like John wrote the gospel of John. Yeah, I'm the one Jesus loved. Okay. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. In other words, guys, just check this for a minute here. She's looking at this situation. Right? Here's Jesus who was innocent, who was killed, who's humiliated. And, she, and she's looking at it now. She's like, and now somebody stole the body. She's like, God, like, haven't we been through enough? Like, didn't he suffer enough humiliation? Didn't he suffer enough disgrace? Now somebody's taking the body. It's either a grave robber or it's like the, like the Jewish leaders who killed him and they're going to just like cut him apart or something horrible to, to make an example out of him and further tarnish his memory and legacy. So when she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciples, she's going, like, we don't know what's happened with his body. Have you ever been there in life? You've ever been there in life where you've gone through a situation and you look at it and you're like, God, like, haven't I been through enough? Like, hasn't things fallen apart enough? Like, I prayed and I prayed and you weren't there. I prayed and I prayed for you to answer and the, stick, or the sickness still stuck around and, and, you know, and we weren't given the child and, and, and we didn't get the money. And just honestly, like, God, haven't we been through enough? And here's Mary. So jump on down to verse 11 in those exact shoes. So Peter and John, they go and they check out the tomb. And yep, just as she said, it's empty. And it says in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Wouldn't you? Here's Jesus who's offered her hope for the first time maybe in her life. Who's freed her of everything set her free from all kinds of oppression. She's watched him die. When she thought it couldn't get worse, it did. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And this detail is just weird to me. It's weird to me that she's crying. She knows Jesus' body is gone. She looks in the tomb, and there's two guys in white sitting there, and they go, well, Why are you crying? And through her tears, there's no recognition of, oh, these are angels. Like, wow. You know, the tomb was empty a second ago, and now there's two guys in there. But she's just so like, ah. Because here's the thing, just to understand. Pain is the great blinder. It is. Like, have you ever noticed this in life? It's one of those things where, okay, like, when we are in grief, it is impossible for us to see clearly. Like, when, when, when we are hurting, when we are suffering, it's impossible for us to theologically be like, oh, yeah, I totally get everything about God, and I can see how. It, of course not. And that's where she is, too. Like, in this moment, she doesn't see that they're angels. All she sees is the grief. All she sees is the fact that she cares about Jesus, and Jesus is gone. And let me just say this to you. For the one who's grieving, maybe God is up to things that you don't know about as well. 
And you can't see it right now. And there's no chastising Mary for this. There's no like, Mary, don't you see what we are? Hello, like, look, and I'll flex and some wings pop out. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that. They just ask her a question. That's the end of conversation. And you know why they don't chastise her for it? Um, because the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. Like Jesus fully understands what it's like to be a human being, to suffer loss. He would never kick her while she's down. In the same way, God wouldn't do the same. That's you. But she's blinded in her grief. She doesn't realize what's in front of her, and we see that going forward. So she said, you know, I don't know where they put him talking about Jesus. Verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Look at it again. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Like her expectation is so decimated. It's one of these moments where she, maybe it's almost she's beginning to enter into a rage of like, he's not here. And now I have these two jokers asking what I'm crying about. She turns to leave. And while she's right there, here's another guy just standing right there. And she's like, oh my gosh, like where? Okay, just because there's no expectation of Jesus being alive, standing, breathing. No, that's, that's gone. That's gone. But there he is. Verse 15, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Mm. Let's go. Let's go. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Just think about the raw audacity of that. Okay, sir, listen, if you were the one who moved him, I'll go pick up the body by myself and bring him back. Like, like, like small woman, Mary, and, and she's like, I'll just go take care of it. Now, you've got to respect that. You've got to respect the heart behind that. That she's like, okay, listen, you may have messed up. I'll go, just tell me where he is. It's so ridiculous, but you've got to love the heart in it. And it is so ridiculous. Which is why Jesus standing there in front of her just goes, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And so you have this scene. Mary. She looks at him. Oh my. And she just throws herself at him, crying out. And she's like, he was dead. He's alive. And as she's on him, just sobbing, verse 17, Jesus said to him, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You might go, okay, that's a little bit weird. Like, why is he saying that? Like, hey, I'm alive. You want a hug? Bring it in. And he does. Um, but a better understanding of the Greek here is the idea of basically he's saying is, stop clinging to me. In other words, um, Mary... It's not going to be how it was. So like what Mary wants in this moment, she wants to go back to that simpler time, like Jesus died. But now he's back and we just get back to business as usual. But Jesus is going, listen, it's all different now. It's all different now. To the point where I was actually thinking about it this, this week, and this, this might not be accurate, but I'll just say it, and I'm, I'm not infallible, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's just interesting to me that, okay, this, this very next line where Jesus says, okay, so he says, I'm going to send to my father. And he says, go instead to my brothers and tell them. And, and the wording that really struck me, because as far as I can tell, in the rest of the Gospel of John, Jesus never calls his disciples brothers. Like, he, he calls them servants, friends, but brothers. 
that's different. And, and I think the reason, again, I could be wrong here, because I know there's a place in some of the other Gospels where Jesus says, like, who, who are my brothers? Those who do, do, like, the work of God. But it's almost to me as though, like, this entire relationship dynamic has changed. That because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, we've been adopted into the family of God. Now we've actually been made co-heirs with Christ. And that's biblical. All right? listen, we've been brought in here, but like his wording changes and says, listen, listen, don't hold on to me. It's not like it was. Like this whole dynamic, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to sit here and you're just going to listen to you. No, that's gone. Like what's coming is going to be a completely new way of life. What's coming is going to be a brand new way of doing life with me. So don't keep clinging to me because I'm going up to the Father, but I've got something better for you. He said, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them these things. And she told them he had said these things to her. For, for a lot of us, here's where we are. Um, we have the same expectations for God that Mary had at the tomb Easter Sunday morning. That's what I want to just preach. As we're nearing the end here, um, I want to just tell you, like a lot of us, what we do is we expect a silent Jesus. But the reason we celebrate at Easter is because our hopes in his resurrection and life have not been misplaced. And I want to say this to the one who stopped praying. I want to say this to the one who's... who's Faith is hanging on by a thread, and they want to do religion the way Mary was going to do religion up until that moment, where, listen, she'll carry the body, like she'll carry the brunt of God's work, as though expecting him to have no life in him. But instead, the living God shows up to act on her behalf and to show her that her hopes ultimately are fulfilled and can be fulfilled in him again. Let me just say this to you, because I'm seeing this in my own life and in the life of our church. And one of the things that we do before... Uh, we, we film on Sunday mornings um, is we get our teams together and we just pray. Like we bathe this thing in prayer because we believe that ultimately like, we're not effective unless the Lord acts on our behalf. We don't presume to be or want to be. Last week, we had a moment where we broke out into small groups from our teams to just pray for each other's needs and pray for whatever's on each other's hearts. And... Um, Man, we saw God. Actually, like uh, Mark Dickey's sitting right here. You can't see him. Don't pop in the camera, Mark. It'd be weird. But like even like last week, like Mark, uh, he asked us to pray for uh, he needed a new car. You got a new car now. That's pretty awesome. Um, but another one that happened. Like we're in our small group, and um, uh, Christy Francesca, who runs, he's uh, one of our camera operators, was there, and Chris uh, suffered a back injury. I think like three months ago, something like that. Uh, jacked up his back to the point where he's been in physical therapy for it. And he says, "Hey, like, could you guys pray for my back?" And so we did. And guess what? God healed him completely. Like he actually called the physical therapy office this week. He's like, yeah, I don't need it anymore. But like, what is that? How many of us, like, we, we heard this, like, oh my gosh. But we shouldn't be surprised because the same Jesus who stood outside the tomb with Mary is alive right now. And he's present on the earth in the person of the Holy Spirit with his bride, the church. And I'm telling you this because I want you to understand something. Like, we don't have to carry God's weight. 
And we don't have to live as though he's silent, as though he like as though he isn't a tomb. No, he's not. On Easter Sunday morning, what we celebrate is the fact that yes, Jesus died for our sin, that he died in our place to make us right with God, that because of the blood of Jesus shed on your behalf and mine, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven and completely wiped away by God. That when we come to God, we have nothing but confidence because of the wake or the work and saving work of Jesus Christ. Like because of God, like uh, what Jesus has done, we don't have to fear any kind of resentment from God. And because of what Jesus has done, we know that God hears us when we pray. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that he acts when we pray. Why? Because right here, right here, here's Mary at the tomb. And the same Jesus she thought was dead, was and is alive and will be forevermore. I'm telling you this today. If you've stopped praying, It's time to start again. If you've stopped believing, it's time to start again. Because the same Jesus who does all this awesome stuff in the Gospels is ready to meet you through the person and power of the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, right here, right now, today. And it all happens because of Easter. Let me pray for you today. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, we invite you into this moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you have died for our sin freely. You laid down your life to give us new life. You died in our place and you rose as a promise that we one day will rise with you. Lord, I ask you to meet your children and your people in this moment. Do what only you can do. Bring miracles, bring healing, set free those who have been oppressed by the devil. Do the things that only you can do. Lord Jesus, I pray for the one whose faith is like right on the fence. That you speak to them into this moment, that you act and show them your hand so they would come to a saving faith in you. Lord, we celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your faithfulness. Okay, for the, for the one right now who's, who's questioning theologically and they're going, okay, yeah, but like what's the difference between trust and, and believing that God's going to act? Here's the difference. Here's the healthy theology. The healthy theology is this. It's to say, I believe God will act on my behalf, but even if he doesn't, I trust him. That's the healthy theology, because like, like, you acknowledge that God has a will, but you believe he hears you when you pray. And Lord, we do believe that you hear us when we pray. So we celebrate you and your saving work this morning. May you and you alone be praised, King Jesus. You are deserving of all the honor and glory and majesty forever and ever. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we get to pray through what you've done. Amen and amen. Church family, thank you so much for tuning in this Easter Sunday morning. Only a few more weeks left of being online. I cannot wait to see you May 2nd. Bless you. Hope you have a great rest of your Easter. Praise God. Celebrate him well.